HRN listeners. As we celebrate our 15th year, we are deepening our commitment to giving voice to the next generation of food system storytellers, and we need your help. Our internship and fellowship programs help activate new possibilities for underrepresented and underestimated young people through experiential journalism, audio engineering, and production training. Through these unique programs, HRN helps food equity stewards build essential workforce readiness skills that expand their potential and foster economic mobility. Please consider supporting these critical programs. And with a minimum donation, you can be entered to win a dinner for two at an amazing restaurant in one of eight cities and tickets to a concert at a great venue in one of those cities. We have incredible partners across the country who have donated as they also share our passion for helping to educate the next generation of food system storytellers. Check out heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. That's heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. And make sure you donate before March 31st. Thank you. You're listening to Heritage Radio Network. HRN is food radio supported by you. Learn more at heritageradionetwork.org. Welcome to HRN on Tour at Bottle Rock 2023. I am Christine Sykes-Lowe. And I'm Jennifer Bushman. And today we are joined by Andrew Zimmer. Hello, Andrew. Hey, how you doing? <laughs> doing great. So you have some really cool stuff going on here at Bottle Rock. What do you have planned? Uh, well, I mean, hanging out at my favorite music festival. Um, I'm not sure there's a more fun one. Uh, you know, great eats, great music, great people. Uh, Dave and his team, you know, Kim over in culinary, the, you know, the folks at Williams-Sonoma do such an amazing job. The, the level of finish that exists here, I, I'm not sure is the same anywhere else. Uh, so there's really no place I'd rather be on Memorial Day weekend. Um, and in a couple of hours, uh, I'm going to be uh, cooking with the guys from Duran Duran which is always fun on the culinary stage. Um, you, you know, the, the, the way William Sonoma and, uh, and, and Kim and Kendall and Dave organize it is to pair famous chefs with, uh, you know, great musicians and let them cook and do demos together. And so, I, I mean, I have to pinch myself. I've been lucky enough to work with Alice Cooper and Luke Combs and uh, and now Duran Duran and a whole bunch of others over the years and it's just it's crazy where life takes you and, <laughs> and deposits you certainly for a day or two certainly it's wild um, but just personally I had my uh, teenage walls covered in uh, John Taylor posters so well I'm uh, I'm feeding him at uh, 5:45 so if you'd like to join us please do oh my goodness well uh, so what do you have planned for the stage? Uh, well, it's it. I, I guess, I guess I can tell you because I've been trying to keep it a secret. So the 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 idea is to try to at least for me is to do something that's a warm surprise for the musical talent, right? So I thought I could cook coyote, right, and sing "Hungry Like the Wolf." Uh, I could make like feijoada. And you know, sing Rio, and and I had all these grand plans. None of them were appropriate because the Taylors are both 
vegetarians, vegans actually. So I thought, well, what can you do that's big enough that 10, 15,000 people who are attending this thing, and it's just an ocean of human beings out there that they can actually see and that's impactful because most of cooking-wise just takes place on a, a very small piece of real estate, like a 10-inch pan, right? So I decided I was going to do hearts of palm and just make them a salad, but I'm going to actually harvest the heart of palm from a palm tree that they're going to have on stage with a machete. Which is so real, right? It's very Duran Duran. <laughs> I love it's, it. And it's got, it's got enough of, of me in it as well. So I think, we're, I think we're good. Can't wait. So we also wanted to talk to you because it's an exciting time. Family Dinners has been nominated for two Emmy Awards. Tell yep. us a little bit about that. Uh, well, Family Dinner on Magnolia is a great show. We, we came up with it uh, right as COVID started uh, and cranked out because we were able to sequester families and sequester our crew. We were able to make a lot of episodes during the COVID years. And uh, it's been a really popular show. People like it. It's, you know, simplicity is, I think... Uh, the the key to, to real success. I think the more bells and whistles you have on something, potentially the harder it is to reach people. So if you're making television a really simple idea, I go into someone's home and eat dinner. I don't think it's much more simple than that. But kind of like with Bizarre Foods where I wanted other cultures to see how other cultures ate at the fringes so that they could practice patience, tolerance, and understanding with each other. If, if you like someone's food, maybe you like them as people. I want to do that with families. We, we seem to be so, well, we are, so horrifically divided in America. Um, and the, there was a real feeling during COVID that perhaps as disastrous as the circumstances were, you know, this might force some of us to try to get along a little better with, with, with our fellow Americans. And I really like the idea of someone in Oklahoma seeing how someone in Florida or New York or California eats, what their family is like, what they talk about. Because my sense was, and it turned out to be correct, everyone talks about the same stuff. We all do the same things. And preserving family recipes is such an important thing. At the same time, as a nation, we're sitting down to dinner with each other less and less often with every passing decade. So I thought it was important to highlight how important that was as well. So, so far so good. And, and the show itself was nominated uh, for an Emmy. And I was lucky enough to be nominated for host in the category. And it's, it's super joyful. The, I own the production company that makes the show. So I feel like it's a win-win a, a no matter what happens. And everyone who says it's just an honor to be nominated is telling the truth. It is, it is an honor to be nominated. I mean, being nominated for an Emmy is a great thing. What no one else says that I think is a little weird is once you're nominated for an Emmy, you want to win it. I mean, the people who are <laughs> nominated, right. whether they care to admit it or not, are some of the most competitive human beings on planet Earth. That's why you 
you get to the point where you get nominated for one. It's like, you know, of course you want to win. And so, you've got some good friends there amongst the um, nominees. Uh, yeah, Jose and Martha and a bunch of us are all known each other a long, long time, uh, which is, you know, which is great. Um, and, you know, I was actually having dinner with Jose last night and, uh, you know, we're, we're cooking at like midnight at his house which is typically where we get to spend time with each other. And uh, neither one of us brought it up. I think because of the writer's strike and it's been postponed, it makes it a little easier on everyone. Yeah, it's going to get, there's no idea when it's going to actually be um, we don't, scheduled, you know, right? Because you I don't mean, know about the strike, yeah. so timing. I, it, quite honestly, it, the smartest thing they could do, as much as I want to go to a party and put on my tuxedo and go have a good time, would be at some point to honor everyone in some kind of way and announce it and not compromise picket lines and not alienate people. But because the next thing you know, it could be next year's Emmys. You'd never know. So let's, you know, let's not do a two for one. My heart can't stand it. Well, one thing your heart can stand is uh, I've heard uh, through the grapevine, and particularly through Jennifer, is that you are a huge music fan. I'm a big, big, big music fan. Yeah. So what, obviously you're here at Bottle Rock, and I'm sure you're excited to see many of the performers, but uh, what drew you to music? Uh, do you play? Do you play an instrument yourself? I do. I play guitar. Um, I'm not very good at it, but I, I do play guitar. So there's that. Um, and, uh, you know, I'm, I'm 62 and my parents were really into music. So the, you know, this idea that there's a songbook of your life, I, 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 I think food and music do that better than any two cultural totems we have. You can smell something cooking and, and be transported 50 years back to your grandmother's kitchen. You can hear a song come on and uh, and be reminded of, you know, a party in college or your first kiss or your first crush or whatever. Um, and, you know, I adore live music, so I'm glad we're able to go back and do that again. And I, I listen to and attend almost everything. Um, and, and I know it's a really tedious answer, um, but I'm, I'm as, as happy going to see you know, uh, uh, an orchestra do a, you know, a Tchaikovsky tribute as I am seeing um, Billy Strings last night just crushing it. Um, I'm kind of obsessed with him as a guitar player right now. He's, he is a musical prodigy who, who chose bluegrass as how he expresses himself musically. Um, but his skill set is is just absolutely incredible. Um, I, I'm not sure there's a better guitar player in America uh, right now. Um, and and I like everybody in between. I was just at the uh, in Ithaca uh, at the Grateful Dead, well Dead and Company show, uh, the 46th anniversary of the show that was at Barton Hall. I went with all my friends that I used to see Dead shows with. Um, and at the same time, I'm, I mean, you know, contemporary bands. How many, that, how many dead shows have you been to? Uh, about 120. Old school dead shows. I, I call them Jerry shows. You know, it's like shows with Jerry is 
sort of what defines it for me. So, yeah, it's, you know, I, I listen to everything. Well, so do I. And when you're talking about Billy Strings, um, it's kind of one of those things when they go on a riff and you get the goosebumps. Oh, I know. Arms, he's he's you know? absolutely brilliant. The thing that I go to bed, it's, it's funny because last night at two in the morning, I came home. You know, I've just eaten this big dinner. What am I going to, you know, I'm not going to sleep. And my kid, who's 18 and is just, you know, crazy hip hop uh, music lover, turned me on to a, an ambient hip hop group called Lo-Fi Fruits. And I don't know if, if people are into that, but I encourage you to listen to I'm them. I'm going to look them up on Spotify for sure. They're amazing. <laughs> uh, so, you know, I listen to everything. It's awesome. Well, you have a docu-series uh, that's going to be going into production soon. Called We're in production. You're in production. Yeah. You're certainly in production. And um, that's going to be premiering in early 2024, correct? Yes. And you're actually working together with 2024. Andrew. Some days Jennifer is my boss. I, well, we definitely have been talking about this for a while. I keep saying five years, but the thing is now we've been at it for a couple of years more. So yeah, at least you know, and, we're and almost at a decade now talking he, about this about series. To say, even though even though the time frame for the creation of the show is measured in single digits of years, we have been doing uh, you know work in the aquaculture space and trying to move the needle on saving our oceans and our lakes and rivers and streams and coastlines uh, for well over a decade. And, you know, trying to get people's attention uh, through through food. Um, and eventually, it was just a matter of time, given what our other jobs are, that we just finally said, yeah, we're gonna have to make a documentary. So the result is hope in the water. And uh, Jennifer, uh, you know, founded an incredible uh, group that is uh, the the co-producing partner, uh, but also the fundraiser in chief, the FIC, um, and has you know, you know, Jennifer is uh, she's sitting a foot away from me, but I'm trying not to look at her. Is an incredible energy ball that can't be ignored in any room that she's in. And so we have hundreds of the most leading organizations, individuals in the world, signing off on the on the on on the data, the content, so that the stories we tell, and it is a storytelling exercise. This is not a lecture series. This is not an existential nightmare show. This is a a, a collection of human stories uh, taken around the world. Uh, on almost every continent, uh, by the time we're done, who knows, we may touch all seven, that shows us how we can both protect our oceans, but at the same time produce out of them. You know, we're destroying our land at an at at a incredible clip. And regenerative agriculture right now almost seems, uh, although I do a lot of work in that space too, um, like a, uh, a a mission that is that that is near impossible. Uh, I just came back from Zambia, and there's just every every corn farm. I mean, the whole country eats maize porridge called Nishima uh, with every single meal, and none of the corn is regenerative, right? So it feels like we're you know throwing pebbles at the palace walls. Um, but I do believe 
that you know, on the ocean side of things, we can, and statistically, we know we can, feed a hungry planet. And I believe that the more we're engaged in producing out of our oceans, the more engaged we will be in protecting them, right? The, the, the group in, in America that's investing the most money in uh, drought-resistant grain is General Mills, right? Now, everyone thinks, well, General Mills, they're, that's bad food, right? And it's like, well, Big G, their cereals division, is their most profitable. So, of course, they're spending the most money trying to get drought-resistant grains, regenerative ones, grown all over the world, right? It, it, it makes sense. And I think from the, the same reason as, you know, I, I, I'm an outdoorsman and a, and a hunter, um, I think we're some of the best stewards of the land there are because we're actually out in nature all the time. And so I believe with every fiber of my being, and luckily science and data proves it out, that the more engaged we are in production, the better caretakers will be of that sacred space. And we're changing the business model, by the way, you know, from pelagic fish to small fish with the heads on it, uh, from very expensive crustaceans that are moving around due to rising water temperatures to seaweed production that can grow all over the world. And I, I think the diet has to change globally I think the mission has to change globally, and we can do it by engaging in our oceans. And the stories that we've found are, are just unbelievable. From young people in Philadelphia who are doing, you know, uh, FSA boxes, you know, uh, instead of CSA boxes, you know, putting fish, uh, you know, taking it from fishermen who need the sale into the hands of people who need nutritious protein uh, at a fair price. Um, to stories of no-take zones that are uh, reshaping uh, whole communities as far away as Scotland to, you know, new age, you know, uh, shrimp farmers uh, who are doing it in landlocked states like Minnesota, uh, which is shocking to some people. So it's, it really is, I think, a very important series. And, yeah, I mean, and I think the, the thing, Christine, about this is three billion people on the planet rely on these foods. We are not going to be able to survive with 10 billion on the planet on 29% of the planet. 71% is water. And so, as Andrew said, we want to amplify these character-driven stories. Andrew's executive producer. We've got David E. Kelly on board. We've got a lot of incredible celebrities. So this is really the moment to be able to amplify these stories and get people to really change the way they look at... Um, how we will use our waters in order to feed ourselves. I had a quick question from what you said. When you said no take zone, is that like catch and release or? No, you know, if you talk to any farmer, they'll tell you if you've got three acres, you plant two and leave one fallow and rotate them so you can maintain soil health. Uh, any farmer I've ever talked to, and I've spent a lot of time on farms, and I ask them what their job is, they say, I take care of this, this, this earth, the ground, the soil. Uh, then what you raise out of it is it varies with the season and the and the year, et cetera. Um, but letting that field go fallow, uh, we're taught in third grade biology class that that's that's how important it is to keep the soil health uh, raised. Any grade, you know, you know, any fourth grader can tell you this, right? One of the problems with with some of the fishing techniques that have ravaged our oceans 
uh, and our shorelines for, for decades now has been that they essentially rip everything out of the seabed and take all the animals away and essentially leave a wasteland, underwater wasteland behind, right? So nothing grows, no fish come to feed. However, if you take that area and you don't put any other fish in there and essentially just close the gate, so to speak, in a certain area, the regeneration of species there is astronomical. It's astronomical. And in fact, the, the return of species and the return of growth, in some cases, outpaces what was there where we were taking, taking, taking every year. So the idea is perhaps by rotating these take and no take zones, we can do a lot to improve how much output there is from our ocean and the health and wellness of the ocean floor and the plants and the corals that feed a lot of these animals. Now, what's really amazing to me about this, and uh, it, you know, it's shocking to think about, most of us don't, there, there are no gates underwater, right? So if you have a no-take zone that's 200 miles square, right, off the coast of Hawaii, for example, and no one's fishing in that certain zone, because fish are coming to eat in that no-take zone as the plant life and the algae, the healthy algae and the little microorganisms return, they're swimming in and out of it. So fishermen can then fish outside that no-take zone and find that they're getting better catch, right? Which also means, because there's take and no take, that we can then manage the fisheries more efficiently in the take zones. Because don't have to worry about that other stretch of ocean, which is a no-take zone. So it seems to me, very logically, to be a win-win-win-win. I, I, I have trouble understanding with, as Jennifer said, 71% of our, of our Earth's surface covered in water that we can't establish a series of no-take zones sufficient to improve the quality of what comes out of the ocean, what lives underneath the ocean, and most importantly, the wellness of the ocean. It's the, it's the uh, 30 by 30 plan, which Biden has already committed to. I mean, by 30 by 30, we'll be the first country to actually protect 30% of our waters. Um, it's like having Yellowstone National Park. You know, you, you get this thriving ecosystem by knowing that you're protecting it, leaving it alone, that abundance, and you're really returning these things back to where they need to be. So it's an incredible opportunity. And in most cases, the surrounding area, the fisheries, the fishermen are catching two to three times the amount of fish they've ever caught before. Well, it's certainly needed and it's fascinating as well. So I guess we'll be seeing each other in a few weeks, a short, few short weeks. Yeah, so 40th anniversary of Aspen, uh, Food and Wine Classic of Aspen. Yeah. We're going to see you there. Kind of shocking. I will be there. Yep, we're um, going to be there too. I've been, you know, associated with the magazine, gosh, uh, 20 plus years. So uh, wrote for the magazine a long time. And, and I mean, here, this blew my mind. I've, I found this out, uh, you know, the year last year. Um, they did a whole uh, study. They did the 40 best recipes from 40 years of Food and Wine magazine. And um, my crab cake recipe is the most downloaded one on their digital side and made the cut. So uh, 
my my recipe. I mean, if you told me when I was a young line cook, age 18, learning how to cut broccoli, that you know my recipe would be in a collection with you know Jacques Pepin and some of the greatest chefs in the world, I, I would I'd, I'd laugh at you. You'd, you'd I'd tell you you were crazy. I'd ask you how much tequila you had. Um, and uh, you know, I, I'm just I'm so excited to see so many old friends. You know, the magazine has. Uh, been sold a few times, gone through a bunch of editorial changes. Uh, my old editor in chief, Dana Cowan, will be there. I have, I, you know, who, you know, to me is a, I mean, one of the gr greatest influences on my life as a human being and someone who, who challenged me to be a more serious thinker at a time when I really needed it. So um, I, I'm super grateful to be going this year and. It's, I think it's going to be like my 24th classic, which is ridiculous. It'll be a big old family reunion. It is going to be a big old family reunion. I'm pretty psyched about it. It's been sold out for months and months, so it's going to be a great crowd of people. Dana Cowan, of course, has Speaking Broadly, which is part of uh, part of the re the radio group, and she has a magazine as well and is just yep. doing some unbelievable things for women and championing this um, diversity that we need so much. So it's, it's going to be a good time in Aspen, for sure. I can't wait. Yeah. Well, I thank you for your time. I know your your schedule is probably packed, and we appreciate you. I gotta go. I gotta go cook for John and Roger Taylor. I mean, you know, it's it's not that bad, you know. Um, but yeah, it's 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 awesome. Thank you very much. I appreciate the uh, the time. It's always nice to be able to talk about real things with real people. Thank you, Andrew. Thank you, Jennifer. Thanks for listening to HRN's coverage of Bottle Rock 2023. You can listen to all of our coverage on our podcast, HRN on Tour. Find it on heritageradionetwork.org or wherever you listen to podcasts. This show is powered by Simplecast. Thanks for listening to Heritage Radio Network, food radio supported by you. Keep in touch at heritageradionetwork.org slash subscribe.